Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash smartest for your free audiobook download. in the Park Slope adjacent area here in the industrial wasteland of fucking post-apocalyptic Brooklyn and what we call Guantanamo. At the fabulous Bell House, once more, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether right here in Brooklyn, USA. We're so very excited to be here on the East Coast. Excited to be back here. Uh, I haven't done one from uh, New York or anywhere in these environs, and so it's uh, enormously gratifying to have this many people come out on a Saturday night and stuff. Uh, This is, in a way, the Proops' homeland, as my father was from Brooklyn and his father before him. They were from Bay Parkway. And um, I know that doesn't get me in a crowd or mean shit, but I just thought I'd share it with you. I'm not usually this personal with people I've just met. I hope you appreciate that I'm trying to get inside you. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, so it's very uh, exciting to be here. What's most exciting about coming to New York is, of course, people still read newspapers all the time, and they're everywhere. And you have uh, one of the finest newspapers in the world here, and I believe it's called, let's just see, the New York Post. Uh, the New York Post has so many things going for it. One, it's chock-a-block with ribaldry, gossip, innuendo, smears, and inference. Uh, uh, for instance, uh, my understanding is Gwyneth Paltrow was seen in the meatpacking district yesterday. Uh, there was a photo of her. Uh, if there's a district she doesn't belong in, I would think it would be the meatpacking district. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a tea sieving district or a honey distribution district or a, if there's a gathering of pollen and pulling the fleece off of tiny goats district. That's where she really wants to go. I think it was a photo op, as my wife indicated. Uh, and uh, the, the, the post is just chock-a-block with stuff. Uh, some of it comes in the form of articles that are news. And um, uh, f- fired, le- fired Legee whistleblower slaps back at PA. Now, I don't know what any of that means, but it's exciting. There's so many initials, and evidently every New Yorker is giving a list of, of, of potential New York Post headlines when they're in their DNA so that when they're born, they go, oh, it's the fucking LaGuardia guys again. Uh, and I don't know what the PA is. We'll get to that. Uh, but uh, a PA official told the Post that none of these allegations ever panned out. What a surprise. That will be the last paragraph of every story in the Post. None of these allegations ever panned out. Eh, fuck it. Lottery hotline, are you a winner? 1-900-226-78888. I think by its very nature, if you have to ask if you're a winner and then look up that number, perhaps your life might not be coming up on the fucking red side all the time. Uh, here's the story that got me the best. Of course, a picture of George Clooney with uh, Stacey Keebler, who is a very large elf indeed. Uh, of all the Keebler elves, she's the tallest. And, and it isn't fudge she makes. Um, uh, she has a weird blonde uh, black hairdo with a blonde ponytail which I haven't seen since the early Madonna uh, days Um, okay thank fuck we're recording Um, (laughs) 
here's, this is the kind of headline that makes me glad, one, uh, to live in uh, the country we call America, and two, uh, to be in one of the boroughs. And this is it. Quintet of Gators. <laughs> now, any other uh, headline writer at any other paper in the world might say, Alligators found. <laughs> or Alligators extricated. Or whatever the fucking local gator held. Local gators questioned in gator incident. G- gator incident leaves authorities perplexed. Perplexed authorities ponder recent gator incident. Is, ga- is recent gator incident part of a fucking series of gator incidents? Quintet of gators. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, Mr. Gator. Yes. Kill me a fowl, bum 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 bum. Make it the cutest and make sure it howls, bum 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 bum. A quintet of gators, uh, much like the Isley Brothers, who did that album Five by Five of Gators. The count of local alligators found this week on Long Island and in New York City has reached five. That's not a very instructive lead paragraph, in my opinion. Having taken journalism in high school, I was understood that it was an inverted pyramid and that you started with salient information. The count of local alligators found this week. So everybody at home, click. <laughs> Up to five, is it? Thank God we were keeping a count. The fourth of a quartet. <laughs> Which one was he? Zeppo? <laughs> Harpo? Ringo? Snorky? Which fucking one? So many quartets. The drummer from R.E.M., no one knows his name. The fourth of a quartet discovered on the island, I guess that's Long Island, has been given, I'm doing that on purpose, has been given a home, I'm from California, I wouldn't say it, has been given a home at Riverhead Aquarium, I don't know where that is, according to local reports. It was found Monday at a Wading River golf course. Okay, let me ask you a question, New York. Gators, for real? Are you growing them? Are you keeping them? Are you importing them? Or did you just, did they just spontaneously erupt from the fucking pool of life that lays at the feet of every New Yorker? (laughs) There are more fucking bubbling up germs and fucking, if I could believe there was a place where spontaneous life regenerated out of the filth from the ground. I would not pick Olduvai Gorge in Kenya. Nor would I pick the rich fields of Java. Rather, I would pick the streets of Brooklyn. Because you look down and there's a rat dodging a piece of gum you spat at it. Something's bound to just fucking grow. Like Jeff Goldblum said in the movie. Uh, 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 life, uh, John. Uh, 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 life. Uh, life will find a way. Uh, 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 I've seen stuff crawl that I don't think was animate. That's all I'm saying. Things should have blood coursing through it before it fucking walks, right? Isn't that one of the rules? It's, I mean, guidelines. I'm not Richard Dawkins, so I can't tell you how it really works. Uh, a quartet of alligators. Right. Uh, a long, long time ago, other gators were found on successive days. In other words, a gator a day. Let's not stack all of them up on a fucking Tuesday. Let's stretch this story out so it's gator-tastic all through the week. Well, I'm running down a golf course track. Yes, I'm running 
gator on my ass. I've been running Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Other gators are the spate of loose gators. The spate. You know. <laughs> spate is such a newspaper word. No one says spate in public. Have you ever used the word spate in, in casual conversation? How's it going, dude? Oh, man. I am on such a spate of not getting laid right now. <laughs> I'm on such a spate of not going to work all week, and I am on a spate of drinks. We know what it means. It's a collective group, but no one uses it. The spate of loose gators. And by the way, I'm sure there's a collective uh, noun for a group. Of, a, a, a crows are a murder, are they not? And, and whales are a pod, is it? And uh, um, uh, I don't know what foxes. Foxes are in a fucking, yeah, is what foxes are in. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone could Google that. Um, experts believe experts. This is what I love about news writing. Who? What expert? What fucking expert? You're the post. What'd you call Bellevue? You know, they didn't call MIT and shit. They didn't call, the, they didn't call GIT, the Gator Institute of Technology, which is the, Alabama's fourth leading college. They didn't call there. Experts, give me a break. Who's an expert on fucking saurians? Believe reptile. Uh, uh, Greg, I. I uh, <laughs> the differences they usually found in on one day, like for not successive days, is turning into Woody Allen as an impression. Great, there's an alligator on the golf course, wearing green like Hitler's troops. Experts believe reptile love experts. Believe. Okay, believe. Let's just cut to a fine distinction here. There's knowing and there's believing. Like, I believe that smoking dope makes me engaging and charming. That is not a hard and fast proven fact by the scientific method. That is mere conjecture on my part and a willingness to cast butterflies to the wind and see if any come back into the comprehensive proof net I have thrown up. <laughs> Other people would say to you, Greg, you seem sluggish, disinterested. All you want to do is watch television and eat malted milk balls out of a jar. <laughs> Your conversation ranges from baseball to old movies back to old movies. I don't think engaging is the word I'd use. I think pedantic, fucking single-minded, middle-aged, sweaty bore. But I believe it. Experts, unnamed experts from the post squad of experts. Boop, 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 boop. Oh my God, the hotline. Hello, I know everything. This is the post. Do you believe reptile lovers were raising them as pets but abandoned them as the creatures grew large? I do believe that. I also believe there was a magic dragon and he lived by the sea and in the autumn mists he frolicked in a land called Hanalei. First of all, I'm going to read that sentence again because there's a few college people in here. I can smell it. I can smell higher education on some of the smarter uh, glassed people. There are some dudes tonight with some screaming glasses. And I know they've kicked a thesaurus around the room. Or maybe another small dinosaur. 
experts experts believe reptile I believe that gators are the future put them on a golf course and let them play through no matter what they do to me we're relieve reptile lovers I love a lot of things I love my wife I love the giants I love the smell of kickies on a Sunday afternoon I love the sound of a bong from a distant bedroom in a place you've just walked into I love so many things. Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall was on TCM. It was Lauren Bacall month. I think Lauren Bacall month is now over. Of course, we had uh, September, and now we're in October. And then we're heading for no And uh, But Lauren Bacall was on, and uh, Robert Osborne was interviewing her. But a previous interview, and if I've told the story before, fuck me. What are you going to do? Fucking let a gator out on my mansion on successive days. <laughs> on my putting green with the windmill. Um, the, thank you. That was a miniature golf joke. We, no one really does those anymore because there's no such thing as a miniature golf anymore. But if this was 1974, that joke would have fucking landed like a bomb in the middle of this crowd. People would have scattered at the majesty of that fucking joke. Uh, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> What was it you said earlier about smoking dope? It makes me engaging. <laughs> Lauren Bacall was on an interview with David Frost. You know David Frost, the uh, eminent uh, English interviewer who had a television show in the 70s that was one-on-one, -on -one and they sat in those white uh, chairs that were plastic that, that you could swing in, and David Frost would swing in his chair and hold, a, hold a, a, a clipboard like this and go, let me ask you a question, and he had Louis Armstrong, and he'd go, Satchmo, what was it like? Like that, it was really, you know, it was like, like a Russell Brand character, you know, and uh, he, but he was really uh, uh, cool, and so uh, David Frost had Lauren Bacall on years ago, and he's talking about uh, um, the first picture, right, which is um, Have and Have Not, is it, the first one she made with Bogey? Is it? Or Big Sleep? Have and have not. And uh, Hawks, right, was, you know, Hawks made so many fucking unbelievable movies. Bringing a Baby and uh, I'm not even going to go into it. Uh, Big Sleep, obviously. Uh, in any case, she got on the picture and she's a teenager. And Hawks wanted to try it, right? And uh, Bogey fucking fell in love with her, blah, blah, blah. We all know the story. Lauren Bacall fell in love with Humphrey Bogart. She used to meet him down on the corner on Wilshire and shit. Her mother told her not to go. She'd fucking go anyway. Bogey'd pull up. She'd get in the car, you know, cut to fucking flowing curtains and booze and champagne corks and, well, more like cigarettes and whiskey bottles. And, you know, it was the 40s. So uh, David Frost goes, about Howard Hawks, was he, uh, he going to, um, uh, did he, was he interested in you? He can't probably get it out, right? Was he interested in you, you, you know, as a woman? And Lauren McCall goes, well, I think he would have liked some apple pan dowdy. <laughs> apple pan dowdy. Fucking awesome. Oh my God. Why weren't we alive then? <laughs> Baby, I'd like some rhubarb pie. You're like sherbet, and I'm a soda jerk. 
Experts believe reptile lovers, reptile lovers, were. Re- I love you, reptile. I love watching you eat bugs and the wings stick out of your mouth and shit and not being able to pet you. <laughs> reptiles are cool. Reptiles are cool. They are. They're fun. Iguanas are fun. I mean, maybe not fun. I mean, I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> Reptile lovers. Reptile lover. Egypt. Egypt. Reptile lover. We're raising them as pets. There's a good idea. You know, people, uh, whenever it rains in Los Angeles, uh, a horse falls into a culvert and has to be choppered out on TV live. And the question always comes to my mind immediately. Who's raising horses in L.A.? Where do you fucking think you are? The Ponderosa and shit? Who's raising... Hey, reptile lover. Hey, reptile lover. Why are you raising gators in Brooklyn? Or in Wading River. If that's a place. But abandon them. And this is the part I wanted you to hear. As the creatures grew large. Anybody? As the creatures grew larger. Am I wrong? Large, larger, largest. The superlative. Good, gooder, goodest. Stone, stoner, stonedest. You know what I'm saying? Larger. Animals grow larger. They don't grow large. They're already large. They're fucking alligators. This week, the week's gator wrangling total, hyphenated, gator wrangling. At this point, the guy had a heart on and succumbed. Whoever got assigned this story, I say guy. It could have been a woman with a little hat like Barbara Stanwyck and meet John Doe. I want this story. I want this gator story as bad as I've ever wanted anything. Ah, get out of here. You're going to get this paper closed down, you crazy dame. Why don't you go home and have a baby? I'm telling you, boss, this story's key. We get a thousand people, then a thousand more. Don't you see? It's gangbusters. Maybe there is something to this gator story after all. All right, you have till Tuesday, and that's all. Get out of my sight. Thanks, boss. You won't regret it. I said... This week's Gator Wrangling Total. Come, I'm going to read it like a Radio 4 announcer in England. The week's Gator Wrangling Total comes to five with a Big Apple capture. Police removed a pet alligator from a Brooklyn home on Monday. What the fuck does that mean? What do you mean removed a pet alligator from a Brooklyn home? Do you mean they called and went, fuck, I just realized... I answered an ad in the back of a comic book from 1973. They used to send alligators and turtles across the country. I think they probably still do. And ants, too, in an ant farm. They came with dried ants, and then you'd put the ants in the ant farm, and they'd spring to life and shit. I'm not fucking kidding. 70s were freaky. 
when you say removed a pet alligator, did they found or did they like get an alligator alert or is there like an alligator alarm or did reptile lovers convene and the vibe was just so heavy that the authorities that are in charge of seeking out errant alligators fucking read it in the sky like a fucking bat signal or something. They looked up and there was like a caiman and they're like, that's close enough. The Suffolk County, is that what county you're in? Oh, where the fuck Suffolk County? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Long Island. All right. Is that where Wading Riverhead Aquarium is? Okay. I don't know my New York geography that well. Uh, what am I, Rip Van fucking Winkle? What am I, Washington Irving and shit? Um, the Suffolk County SPCA warns. Much like experts believe. That exotic animals make bad companions. Au contraire. <laughs> Who walked a lobster on a leash? Was that Duchamp? <laughs> Fucking marvelous, that. I think a, like a, a cheetah dyed pink <laughs> to go clubbing with. And people are like, oh, that's so cute. What is it? You're like, it's a cheetah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you're in first and you've got a pink cheetah. Peacocks are horribly annoying, but they're fabulous. They'll drive, if you hate your neighbor, get a fucking peacock. Because they go like, Meh! they make a horrible noise. And then they, they are the ultimate in male objects. Because the peahen, drab. But a vessel for the pea egg. The cock, however. Fair passing gorgeous. You'll collect the feathers and keep them forever. Just seeing a peacock's an exciting moment when it goes. <laughs> Just know that they live in a tree next to your house and go. <laughs> at like 4.30 a.m. Peacocks have no sense of decorum whatsoever. That's why they're men. They're rude. They're loud when they don't have to be. And they're enormously vain. Look at my fucking tail. Isn't it awesome? I have something to say. Not now. <laughs> Look what I can do. Ah. <laughs> and may also pose serious health risks. Yeah, I think the chief health risk from an alligator <laughs> is that you only have one hand left to feed the alligator with. This was a, a birthday card I received. First of all, thank you uh, for the Grant Morrison uh, comic book for the young lady who gave it to me tonight. Happy birthday to everyone in the room whose birthday is this week. Uh, my sister Patrice, my friend Kristen, Jack Rikus, Dr. Gonzo, Rob Jacobson, uh, Michael Bozier. Uh, I know so many people born uh, this week. Um, John Lennon, of course. Uh, dear Greg, thanks for all the blah, blah, blah. One is loath to attach any condition to a gift, but the enclosed is not to be squandered on anything frivolous. It is strictly for vodka and weed. Kittenest regards, Chris, with a kiss. This was from New Zealand. Thank you, Chris. I know you can't be here tonight. And he sent me a $50 bill, if you can fucking believe that. Here's my question. Because reciprocity is so uh, hard to come by and thin on the ground in this lifetime. Uh, uh, he sent me a $50 bill from the wilds of New Zealand. Where am I to find a $50 New Zealand bill to send to someone in fucking New Zealand? Do I have to go to the airport and shit? And even at the airport, aren't they going to go, why don't you just wait until you get there? No, they have them here. Uh, let's get to the advertising and then we'll get right into the show. We'll start in a second. 
sometimes you're sitting around the house, you've had a couple drinks, whatever. Uh, maybe you're driving and you just are caught in a traffic jam. Maybe you're laying in your basement uh, deep below because you feel that the end is nigh. Maybe you're simply kicking it on a Sunday afternoon and you've already finished reading uh, the voluminous uh, uh, Dickens biography that was given to you recently. Or none of these circumstances. Maybe... You're just high, and you want to hear fucking Michael Moorcock read by fucking Nina Blackwood from MTV. <laughs> then it's time to go to www.audiblepodcast.com slash smartest, stroke, smartest, however we say it here, uh, and, and get your free audiobook today. You can go to my website, gregproops.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Um, I think you'll find I'm the Internet's <laughs> leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. Uh, experts believe that I am. <laughs> and the SPACA warns that I'm not... that I make a bad companion and may also pose a serious health problem. <laughs> Audible has over 75,000 titles to choose from. I wonder, 75,405 or 77,000? And we rounded down. <laughs> Every genre... Audible has it covered. Get a free audiobook download when you sign up for a free trial today. This is a call to action and should be emphasized or repeated. I wasn't supposed to read that part. <laughs> hey, reptile lover! This offer's only good to those in the U.S. and Canada. I'm sorry, New Zealanders and uh, other people from other nations. Islanders. Uh, um, uh, anyway, sorry, if you're in America, go to it, audiblepodcast.com, and that'll help us out, and I don't know what happens. I think we get money or something. Uh, if you want to email me, smartestoutofspecialthing.com, uh, for questions to the show, if you want to email me personally, and I answer most of the emails, except for the one fucking guy I didn't answer who came up to me here tonight, Lawrence, he goes, I wrote you an email, did you get it? And I was like, what was the email about? And he told me, and I was like, I did get it. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> Experts believe I will answer. Fanmail4Greg at gmail.com. On the 9th, that's Tuesday, the day this show drops, we're going to be at the Cine Family in Los Angeles. And if all y'all ever get out to Los Angeles, and you should, take the piece of obsidian chip off of your shoulder and come to Southern California. After you drive around and smoke a joint and go to the beach and have a fucking taco from a truck, you're going to go, this is okay. The dudes will go, look at that chick over there. The guys will go, look at that dude. And you'll go, it's all right. Someone will take you an art opening. An art opening is in L.A. Are food trucks and booze. People look at the art for like five minutes and then pick each other up in front of a food truck. It's not as bad as you think it is. There's no culture. Yeah, there is. It's just hidden. We have lots of museums and stuff. We have a movie theater called uh, 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 Cine Family, and it's on Fairfax Avenue, which is the heavily uh, Jewish and now tennis shoe district of uh, Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, I forget who it was. Two live Jews uh, who did a "We're gonna slip down to Fairfax Avenue, and then we'll take it higher." Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! We're gonna slap down to TFX Avenue and then we'll take it. Hey! Down in the street there are lockers and a lot of work to be done. No time to hang out the washing. You'll schwitz. It's hot there. It's hot. It was hot when I left LA. It was 104 degrees. 
Cine Family, we're showing Return of the Living Dead, Dan O'Bannon's masterpiece uh, from the 80s. If you've never seen Return of the Living Dead, I'm not a big zombie person. I didn't read Abraham Lincoln and the zombies and Jane Austen and the zombies and shit. I'm not a 14-year-old girl. Here's the deal. Uh, that movie came out in 80... Somewhere. And uh, it's really funny. It's really funny. I hope it is. Fuck, I haven't seen it in a long time. I did suggest to the crowd that they become partially drunk uh, because I think it'll, it'll help that movie along. Uh, it does have an awesome soundtrack by The Cramps and 45 Graves. It's, it's got a groovy... It, it, all, of all the movies I've shown, it has the best soundtrack, I think. We showed With Neil and I, and we showed uh, Buckaroo Banzai and, uh, and Point Break. Yeah! I'm doing it once a month in L.A., so if you come out, come to, come to see the movie. We do the podcast, then we show the movie, then we do the podcast. It's not Doug Benson's show. We don't interrupt. We, we actually watch the movie. We go outside and we get high, and then we come back in and we watch the movie. <laughs> Uh, on the 13th of October at the Podcast Festival in Los Angeles. On the 20th, Mesa, uh, the Center for the Performing Arts. That's, in Phoenix, that's outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, that means nothing to you people. Uh, oh, one person. Where are you from? Yeah, Scottsdale. Scottsdale. Fucking A. I was born a Good Samaritan in Phoenix, man. Uh, Scottsdale's outside of Phoenix. It's where the gangsters play golf. <laughs> people used to move there uh, because they had uh, tuberculosis and shit and, and for the air. And now there's two million people in a valley. With freeways everywhere, so it's not quite as much of a cure as it once was. But uh, Mesa, please visit me there. I beg you, people of Mesa, come. Uh, and the people of neighboring Tempe and Scottsdale as well. Even from people from Peoria and Surprise and Goodyear and Litchfield. I invite you to drive the 45 minutes to Mesa and join me. Even people from Surprise. Yes, there's a town in Arizona called Surprise. There's also a town called Jerome. Hey, Jerome. Well, you darn fool, why you call your town after well, I named it after myself, didn't I? <laughs> you called your town Jerome. But my name is Jerome. We'll be in Denver, uh, the Mile High City, on uh, the 25th of uh, October. Back at Bar Lubitsch in uh, the, the cosseted uh, confines of West Hollywood across from um, the Pleasure Chest at the Bar Lubitsch on the 7th of November at the 8th, the Nerd Melt, uh, which is uh, the epicenter of nerd. That's another reason that you might want to, hey, New Yorker, hey, New Yorker, uh, you might want to visit L.A. because the Nerd Melt is, uh, I guess, if you like graphic novels, fucking A, dude. Uh, <laughs> It's like being a Viking and dying and going immediately to where Woden fucking rolls a giant ball of hashish towards you and a psychedelic mushroom and gives you a glass of mead and an enormous seven-foot-tall blonde girl with braids mounts you immediately. That's what the nerd melts like for the graphic novel fan in our audience. It's like Valhalla. Uh, then we'll be at the Lubitsch again on the 14th. We'll be in London uh, at the Soho uh, Theater on the 2nd of December. Hopefully Ireland. Uh, we'll see what happens that week as well. Uh, the 19th at the Attic in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, I fucking play for real people and shit. <laughs> and the 30th at San Francisco at the Punchline. Let's get going here. Shirley Chisholm said so many things. Uh, I'm not going to explain who Shirley Chisholm was. I'm going to ask you to go home and Google it. You have to do a little homework on this show. Shirley Chisholm was the first black congresswoman ever elected uh, in this country. When I was uh, but a teen, in, exactly. Um, uh, everything is so fucked up now, and I'm sure we all watched the uh, debate this week. And uh, we'll get to that later. But uh, I wanted to start a little bit with Shirley Chisholm here because she's such an inspirational figure. Uh, she was raised in Barbados, and then uh, she came in and ran for Congress in Texas. And then more awesomely than anything else anyone could have done, she ran against Richard Nixon for president in 1972. And, um, yeah, a black woman from Texas via Barbados. At present, our country needs women's idealism and determination perhaps more in politics than anywhere else, she said. Congress, and this one I thought appeal, uh, 
uh, applied to now so much that experts believe that this was uh, pertinent. (laughs) Congress seems drugged and inert most of the time. This was in the 60s, she said this, but if you notice now, Congress is drugged and inert. (laughs) Its idea of a meeting uh, a problem is to hold hearings or in extreme cases to appoint a commission. And then this one, I thought, speaks to what's going on in American politics more than anything anyone has said this entire election year, including Chris Matthews when he gave birth to a small clay baby out of his ass. (laughs) When morality comes up against profit, it is seldom that profit loses. It is not heroin or cocaine that makes one an addict. It's the need to escape from a harsh reality. There are more television addicts, more baseball and football addicts, more movie addicts, and certainly more alcohol addicts Cheers, Shirley. In this country, then there are narcotics addicts. What an enlightened viewpoint that one never hears, not no more, since the government goes after medical marijuana dispensaries, uh, but never, ever, ever, ever prosecutes any white-collar people who do um, their drugs. I was the first American citizen to be elected to Congress, in spite of the double drawbacks of being female and melanin. When you put it that way, it seems like a foolish reason for fame. It's just in a just and free society... Uh, It would figure, because I was the first person in 192 years to be at once a congressman, black, and a woman, proves that oh, half the quote got cut off, uh, either just or free. Um, Shirley Chisholm uh, is someone that gives me hope in this country. There are a million Shirley Chisholms out there. I know they are, of every color and every sex. And uh, hopefully, in the next, uh, let's say, 15, 20 years, um, I hope sooner, Um, everything will change. You watch the debate and everybody is still choking down the bile of what fucking happened. Uh, We'll address it a little bit later in the show, but I just want to say that there is hope to be had. And I don't mean Obama type of hope. I mean hope that you can have. Um, (laughs) Not the kind where you look down at a piece of paper and growl and, you know, fucking act disinterested and perfunctory, but real hope. Uh, That kind of hope. Uh, Because um, uh, all of us have this in our heart. When I read it out to you and I hear you go quiet, I know what that means. I know that it's a sincere reaction. And I know that the people listening on their buds while they're at the gym or in their car or smoking pot or making tea or whatever are also having the same reaction right now. Um, We don't need to cheer and chant USA because we're all on the same fucking wavelength here. And that wavelength is this, that the world can be different and it will be different and we're going to make it fucking different because, right, Uh, Yeah, there's forces that be And there's forces that will always oppose Was it ever fucking thus? If you were a Persian and Alexander the Great rode into town You didn't think he was a fucking hero You thought he was a goat god with a giant cock Who came from Europe to fuck you (laughs) If you were a Macedonian You thought, this is awesome, we can do whatever we like And look at those chicks Um, It's all perspective Uh, First, corrections, addendums, Eric Estrada's uh, paramecium and other things. Uh, William Joseph J. Williams. What a great name. You should be an author or an artist, like Ford Maddox Ford or William Carlos Williams. Mm. Very soon, I'm going to ask you to form a small but formidable human chain toward the bar. (laughs) That I might have another vodka, please, with lots of ice. And if they have any fruit, I'll have a lemon. Well, can anyone do My wife has a ticket, but I don't know where. I don't know where she is. I don't have it. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. I said vodka. I don't know. That's me being a dick. It's fun for me. It's fun for me. The Brooklyn crowd's so sincere, but he went, fuck, he just got up. I know. 
I'm an artist. What's your name, sir? Uh, Jacob. Jacob? Yep. Oh, how biblical. I love it. <laughs> Old Testament. Thank you. You saved me. <laughs> Just like Jacob. You were a hero. Mm. Take five. <laughs> what was it Shirley Chisholm said about addicts? <laughs> They're engaging. Uh, <laughs> William Joseph Williams says... For, for, this is my favorite part. This is on the fan mail. If you, uh, I don't. It's called fan mail. It's not fan mail. Fan mail for Greg at gmail.com. People write me, and they correct me because I make mad mistakes. Part of being the smartest man in the world, one, is talking off mic, and two, uh, admitting that you don't know fuck all. Because I know fuck everything, not fuck all. Uh, for the, for the corrections department. Oh hi, you've reached me. It's it's not like there's many facets at Proop Co. It's pretty much me. When you write me an email, there's not like a guy in a, in a cubbyhole or a girl with a fucking headset on or someone dressed like the fucking progressive insurance girl with a white jumpsuit and a fucking, you know, bow in her hair or whatever. No, it's, it's me. I am the corrections department. Département de correction. Appelez-moi. Prego. Uh, for the corrections department, Yes. William Joseph Williams. William Joseph J. fucking Williams, you poet. My liberal football-hating inner beta male has been challenged by the Deadspin editorial written by punter Chris Cluey. And I'm glad there are some people standing up for what is right, but not easy. Now, I read Chris Cluey's letter a couple of weeks ago on a, a previous podcast. Um, uh, on one of the days an alligator was found, I'm almost certain. It was a propitious day. And Chris Cluey wrote uh, a letter about being an, uh, homophobic, basically. And it was, it, was, uh, it was full of invective and very, very fucking funny. And, uh, and we've mentioned Chris Cluey on the show several times. However, I've mispronounced his name, and I think that's what we're getting to. It should be noted that he is a punter for the Minnesota Vikings, brackets, whose owner, Ziggy Vilf, recently managed to extract nearly a billion dollars of Vilfair uh, from, uh, from the city of Minneapolis. Uh, see what they do? Uh, I wouldn't say that, though. I'd say Minneapolis. His name is pronounced like Cluey. Thanks for the awesome proofcast. I look forward to hearing more Joe W. Uh, yes, it's Chris Cluey, and he does not play for the Ravens, as previously asserted on this vodcast. He plays for the Minnesota Vikings, who beat the Niners' ass uh, two weeks ago, but then the Niners came back and proved that we will dominate you with our enormous fucking cocks. So, <laughs> thank you, Joe W., for your letter. Uh, Chris Cluey, it is noted. Chris, if you listen to the show, right on. I'd love if you did. Uh, secondly, your letters are hysterically funny. I've never uh, really heard of a football player who had that kind of aptitude with language. Really, normally it's like, well, you know, the good Lord and shit, and people Tebow and stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All I'm saying is some of the guys on your side don't have a good rep. I'm a liberal. I know how it feels. I got fucking Woody Harrelson on my side and shit. <laughs> Your magnificent probitude. Why, thank you. I just listened to the episode where you talked at length about Georges Benjour. 
In Portuguese, the J letter sounds closer to the way you pronounce it in English than to Spanish, by the way. I called George Ben... Does anyone speak Portuguese? Thank you. Jorge Ben. I thought it was George Ben. The whole point of this fucking letter was to correct me. I said Jorge Ben. You fucking... You're Puerto Rican. If you're a Dominican like Columbus, I could cite you. Over here, I think there's water and slaves. I mean, people. Where are you from, sir? Wow, did you just fuck up your chance to participate in this podcast? In Portuguese, the J letter sounds closer to the way you pronounce it in English than Spanish. Spanish being... Jorge. I wondered if you knew that his Taj Mahal song was shamelessly ripped off by Rod Stewart. I did not. Its main... Don't start talking now. (laughs) It was used in Do You Think I'm Sexy? It was so blatant that Ben... Jor? Sued him successfully back in the 70s. And then they sent me the link. uh, And uh, you can look him up. It's spelled... Well, Jorge Ben Hor. Um... Who wrote this to me? Oh, best wishes from Brasilia, Felipe Sobriero uh, at Sobriero.com. Well, uh, obrigado, uh, Felipe. Um, thank you for that. I, 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 was t- I knew I was mispronouncing the name horribly, and there was a Brazilian on site during that podcast, and they fucking didn't correct me. Uh, and you should watch it, because if you know the song by Rod Stewart, which is one of the most... I don't know if it's the most egregious moment of the 70s or it's the most transcendent moment of the 70s. It's really a double-edged sword on that one. Like, everybody knows that Debbie Boone, you light up my life. That was a bummer of the 70s. There were certain moments that were a serious bummer. Other moments, bubble. Total bubble. Like, um, uh, don't go breaking my heart. I couldn't if I tried. Like, sometimes you're like, if I hear that again, I'm going to kill you. And then other times you're like, that was okay. <laughs> Obviously, the best part of the 70s is the Ohio players. And, uh, and, and, you know, things like that. <laughs> things that were Ohio players related. For instance, the word yow was often said. And sometimes during the middle of a song, a singer would address the audience with, say what? <laughs> That's what made the 70s good. For instance, you would say, uh, skin tight, skin tight. Say what? I said skin tight. Uh, it was the equivalent of, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Right? Because everybody says that. But uh, in the 70s, we said that. And uh, that's what made them good. But Do You Think I'm Sexy is a Rod Stewart song during his disco period. And he wore satin pants and he had an enormous package. And... Um, <laughs> A white mullet. And that was the period when everyone said Rod Stewart had had fellatio with a bunch of men and had to have his stomach pumped. There was this insane rumor in the 70s. It was like the Richard Gere gerbil rumor. There's no, you know, there's no truth to it. There's no precedent for it. There's no experts believe it happened. You know what I mean? Reptile lovers are advised that having Rod Stewart or Richard Gere near you will be hazardous to your health and are, are bad companions because of the animals and, and uh, male spermatozoa they consume and whatnot. And so... The story about Rod Stewart went around so long that my aunt, my aunt Marge in Mesa fucking told it to me. Yeah, I have an aunt Marge in Mesa. I did. And she was like, did you hear about Rod Stewart? And I was like, oh, no, you're not. 
he had to have his stomach pumped. When a woman is giving you Rice Krispie treats in the shape of a rabbit that have a little fucking candy where the eye goes tells you that story. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come on, baby, let me know. Give me a dime so I can call my mother, he says in one of the lyrics. I did, because I do my, uh, my uh, homework, Philippe, Philippe Sabriero. I watched both videos, and God damn it, you're right. The tune is exactly ripped off from Taj Mahal by Jean Vigian. And uh, uh, apparently he had to pay. Now, let's get into politics. Oh, wait a second here. Uh, oh, yeah, before we do the politics, one more thing. Uh, because we're doing birthdays this month, and I, I know this is horribly uh, self-indulgent, what can I do? I was born on October 3rd, and a, a, a lady sent me, uh, Meredith sent me um, a, a horoscope. Now, as my friend Milt Abel said in the 80s, in order to understand horoscopes, you have to believe that everyone on Earth shares one of 12 separate destinies each day. <laughs> So, talk about experts believe. First of all, my understanding is in the 5,000 years since the constellations were established or the 4,000 years or whatever the cock it is in human history, uh, the constellations have moved in the night sky. So I don't even know if they're in the same place they were when they were, you know, Cassiopeia and Libra and fucking Scorpio and, and Cantankerous and Capistrano and all the, you know, Chico, whoever the fucking, you know what I mean, right? Justin and all the fucking constellations. Audrey, you know who I mean. Uh, so... I was born October 3rd. I don't know what the significance is to that, other than everyone born in the first week of October understand that the last week of December is nine months from the first week of October. In other words, New Year's Eve <laughs> is real fucking close to your birthday, Brohame, or Brahamet, and uh, that your parents probably fucking had a couple of glasses of wine and listened to, if you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come. Come on, baby, let me know. If you want something, just reach out and touch me. Don't we have AIDS yet? I know we have STDs already. Libras born on October 3rd have great poise. And, oh, by the way, the people born on October 3rd, Gore Vidal, uh, and this one's for him. Uh, Eleanor Deuce, the great actress of the 19th century. I'll let you look it up. And uh, Tommy Lee from Molly Crew. Yeah. And other than uh, the size of our enormous manhood, Tommy Lee and I share one other thing in common. We have mayhem tattooed across our chest. Oh, uh, and uh, girls, 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 red lips and fingertips, girls, 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 or as I like to sing, squares, 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 had nuts and furry butts, squares, 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 climbing trees and spreading disease. Jeff Davis wrote that with me. 
who's appeared on this podcast in many guises. And I was on his podcast. Jeff Davis is on Dan Harmon's podcast, which is called Harmon Town. Uh, and I'm on a couple of episodes. Oh, my God, it's so fucking fun. Dan Harmon is really funny and a genius and extraordinarily odd uh, and, and quite marvelous. It's nice to meet people in L.A. who are genuine eccentrics and not pretending to be eccentric so they can be on a sitcom. <laughs> Libra's born on October 3rd of great poise and composure. Again, I believe this. They are able to withstand difficult times without complaint. <laughs> I don't know who fucking wrote this. Hey, Merlin. You are a shitty prognosticator. Hey, Proopster Damas. Whoa. Foul ball. And can learn major life lessons without seeming to change. They are often charming and good looking. But they're not vain. Although they may show a hint of Libran frivolity. I believe CeeLo Green said it best when he said, fuck you. And fuck her too. Frivolity? Jack and Avery at the very least. Frivolity? I'd say full on jocularity. Bordering on hysteria. Uh, this one was from a star sign site that I went to. Your progressed son enters Sagittarius at age 50. Uh, you mark a certain critical turning point in the development of per your personality. After some sort of crisis of consciousness and perhaps elimination of circumstances that have been limiting your growth. Wow. I got a lot of dead weight to fucking cut loose. <laughs> hey, circumstances, stop limiting my growth. I got to dig out of here like an entrenching tool. Back that fucking hoe up. Let's get out of here. Beep, beep, beep. You begin to feel lighter. Thank fuck. Freer and decidedly more outgoing. Because I'm so shy and retiring. Your desire to learn increases. And your sense of humor is enriched. Not on that one. That one kind of fell flat. Good prediction, though. Uh, I like horoscopes. I think they're fun. I read mine when I see the newspaper, and I read my wife's. Does everyone read theirs and their significant others? Only four people? Fuck, I guess it's old-fashioned now. Does anyone look at an astrolabe and try to figure out where Jupiter is? Has anyone tried dead reckoning to find the fucking indies that lie across the ocean? Evidently, I'm really old-fashioned. Has anyone tried to circumnavigate the globe with a crew of Spanish hearties by getting money from the king? Has anyone tried to dance in front of the fire and recreate the hunt? I'll take you back. I just felt so old just now when I said, does anyone read their horoscope? And the crowd went, no. I thought it was fun, but okay, all right. I guess Brooklyn's pretty serious-minded. Uh, we had a debate this week. Uh, there was, it's been hashed over so fucking much, I don't even know if I can hash over it anymore. Let's just say a couple of things about the debate. 
First of all, I know you were disappointed. I was disappointed. We were all disappointed. The world was disappointed. The only people that were happy were the media. And the media are controlled by giant uh, international conglomerates with interlocking boards of directors. Understand that. The media needs a story. The story is this. Mitt Romney's unlikable. He said the 47% of the country expected food and air and shit like that. <laughs> He's obviously like Richie Rich who meets every other fucking frat boy that you've ever met in your fucking life and has no business running this country, no more business than the last president previous to Obama did. Now... Because of his wealth and privilege, he couldn't possibly understand what it's like to get up in the morning and go, do I buy cigarettes today or do I buy a sandwich? <laughs> right? He can't decide that. Do I buy a subway ticket or do I fucking eat something and just walk 85 blocks? He's never had to make those decisions. A lot of our presidents have never had to make those decisions. Obama probably has in his lifetime. Bill Clinton certainly did, right? Uh, even Dwight D. Eisenhower fucking had to. JFK, not so much. You know, we know who we're talking about here. Let's fucking get real. Unlike the TV and unlike the newspaper and unlike the interweb, let's get real for just two fucking seconds and say that this is a corporate oligarchy where we go through the charade of every four years being allowed to present the idea that we're going to be able to choose from one of two candidates whom we somehow have selected through this laborious process of the electoral primary process, which leads to the fucking decision that the majority of Americans want and therefore most people should be happy. Well, everybody knows it's not that way. What it is is uh, one giant corporation that owns the fucking world, like in the movie Rollerball. Um, John Houseman sits with a bunch of other guys on TV screens and a black guy and a woman and shit and goes... Everyone should vote on whether Jonathan E. should win the tournament on Thunder. And then it goes, yes, 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 yes. And then, Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. From Houston, the energy city, it's the Houston team, led by their captain, Jonathan E. And the president is... So, we don't get to choose the president. Ugly white men who rape their maids in a room decide who the president is. That's how the fucking world works. If you think it's another way, good for you. In any case, we have a say, and our say is financial, always. Because that's the only thing these jokers understand. Um, just like the only thing that certain uh, gangsters or countries understand is a hail of bullets, sometimes the only thing that the powers that be understand is the power of us being able to withdraw or withhold money at any given point uh, during our process. So now, we've had the debate this weekend. Two candidates who are both right of center who represent one giant fucking oligarchical party. Um, the one who's the articulate black guy who you've grown to know and love over the last four years despite the enormous disappointment of every failing. And despite the few successes that he's had which we should embrace and not look cynically upon because you mustn't look cynically upon every goddamn thing that ever fucking happens as Rebecca Solnit points out if during the fucking civil rights movement people went yeah but the bus didn't come quick enough and shit people wouldn't have fucking had right so small victories small victories there's a little bit of health care. The, the country's a little bit cooler because of Obama. Did everything happen that was supposed to happen? No. Was the Democratic National Convention fun? Yes, because they said the word abortion a thousand times. Why, was that, why did that make it fun? Because it recognizes that women are part of fucking society now. And that are, in fact, the majority of society now. 
and that abortion isn't a thing that's to be hidden in a back room. Abortion is a thing to be talked about and fucking discussed like any other health problem, especially like health problems that men are talked about all the time, particularly on television. If you watch professional sports, which is the lack of being able to get an erection, which apparently is the most important medical problem in all of America. So in any case, you understand what I'm talking about. Now, uh, Clinton gave a great speech. He looked like the president. We were all kind of nostalgic for when he was the president. And when, when Obama chased him around the stage for half an hour, he was acting like he was the fucking president. <laughs> then Obama gave his speech. Please forgive me. Let me have four more years. I know it's been shitty. And, and I respected him for that in a way. Now, it wasn't a bravura speech. So comes the debate, the first one, and everyone's expecting him to hit home run. I had a guy say to me the night before, what if he just said to uh, uh, Romney, fucking expound on that and let him drown, right? And we were thinking the same thing. Yeah, Obama, Romney might drown. He has shown no alacrity so far in his ability to choose words and his ability to pick a platform and his ability to articulate his position in any way other than a bunch of mundane sound points. Uh, boits. A bunch of Sean Boyce. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do the rest of the show as Peter Falk, if you don't mind. Um, just one more thing about this debate. Those are a bunch of sound bites. My wife would have loved those. My wife loves Obama. She loves Obama. Anyway, Mitt, I don't know if Mitt looked presidential, but Mitt certainly looked like he'd debated before. Obama, of course, we've all hashed over it a thousand times. Wildly disappointing. If he was supposed to be the orator who we saw on the stump in 2008, he fell woefully short. Was he even concerned on the night with the image he was projecting, or was he been, uh, had he been told some awful news that we weren't privy to? That was the first thing that we discussed at my house. Um, did he know something about Syria? Did he know something about Afghanistan? Did he know something about Iran? Did he know something about one of the million fucking conflagrations America is fucking involved in right now that bummed him out so much that he couldn't fucking focus on the task at hand, which was to debate? Now, having said that, understand that what we saw was a shitty reality show. What we've reduced the presidential election down to, according to the Post and every other paper, let's be honest, the New York Times, whoever you want, whatever media outlet you can name that's mainstream, they have a narrative and they have a narrative they have to follow. The narrative thus far has been that Obama's been kicking his ass. When Clinton gave the speech, his speech was a triumph. When the Republicans had their convention, it was a bummer. There was a hurricane and they brought out a bunch of people who no one liked. So when Romney gets to this, it's all about him, right? Will he be better than Obama and shit like that? Well, Obama's still as smart as he was. Obama's still in control as he was. He just gave a shitty reality show. It was like watching Housewives of fucking New Jersey, and all of a sudden, uh, Caroline Manzo is fucking shitty that night. It was like watching uh, the Jersey Shore and Snooki didn't barf or whatever. You're just like, this fucking blew. Because the debate is not a substantive discussion of what's actually going on in America or what's actually the problem is in the world and stuff like that. If it was, we'd be talking about civil rights. We'd be talking about uh, what people's job opportunities are. We wouldn't just be repeating catchphrases. And, and it, it had a crappy host. It was in a crappy setting. Just understand that. That's all I'm saying. It's a reality show. The next one is in the town hall setting, which, of course, is like no town hall that you've ever been to. Because town halls aren't full of cameras and lights and shit like that. And people trying to score points and shit. Um, uh, unless you're lucky. 
so there's a lot to go, is all I have to say to this. My opinion is this, and of course, it would be my opinion because it's my fucking show. <laughs> Anyone that was for Romney f- before the debate was certainly uh, galvanized and even probably delighted by what happened. Anyone as for Obama was disappointed in his performance, but probably didn't jump over to Romney. The people who are in the middle, I've never understood. The people who, who went through eight years of Bush and at the end of it went, he was okay. There's no reaching them. They're going to be out in that bizarre fucking Eskimo wasteland where grandma gets buried on an ice floe the rest of their lives. So really, are the swing voters what we're talking about? No, because all of the swing states are being controlled by voter suppression laws and fucking diebold voting machines and every other machination that's already in place by both sides, by both sides. And so, uh, in conclusion, no, I'm joking. I hope I can count on your vote in November. I believe Steve Perry said it best. (laughs) Don't stop believing. Uh, We can believe all we like because Obama and Romney, for whatever they are, the symbols that we've elected, the the, the TV personalities that we've concocted, the the corporate uh, advertising uh, entities that we've come to know and, 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 and understand as, the, as our only choices are but representative of what's actually going on in the world. And what's going on in the world is what's going on in your house, what's going on in your block, your neighborhood, your town, your state, your fucking entity, blah, 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 blah. That's where everything starts and that's where everything ends. Shirley Chisholm did not give up because she was a black woman who lived in Texas who'd moved from Barbados. Shirley Chisholm edumacated herself and fucking insinuated herself and ran for a local seat and then ran for Congress and then ran for president. It can happen. It does happen. And um, the world is going to change. One day, all the icky, ugly uh, white guys will be dead that run the world. And all of you will run the world. So I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying, take part, uh, even if it's just watching or whatever, and don't let the media sway you or make your opinion go either way. Uh, uh, if you watch Fox News, it's like, uh, oh my God, the momentum's on Romney's side and he's going to fucking win and all that shit. And eh, that's about as true as Obama's going to fucking help you. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> Obama's going to do what he has to do. Uh, but remember what I said before on an earlier podcast, uh, the Supreme Court... Uh, has several members who are going to leave during this next four years. And if nothing else, if nothing else, that's an issue that you may wish to address by going into your deepest soul and looking into the giant fucking clamshell that's reflective with its abalone-like luminescence. And look at your reflection in it. And in your reflection, look at your conscience. And in your conscience, say, whom can I vote for? If it's a third-party candidate, I say, right on. The part of the debates I detest the most is that uh, crazy Gary Johnson's not there, that Roseanne Barr's not there, that the libertarian... You know what I mean? Why can't we have 10 parties on stage and ask them all the same question? Would it diminish the office of presidency? No, it wouldn't. It would, it would glorify our democracy to let every voice be heard. It would, 
By limiting it to the two corporate center-right candidates, we're saying that only rich and those who know rich people have any fucking say at all in this discussion. And that's not true. We all know that we're a lot closer to the 99% than we are to the 2 or 3% that all the rich people who hold office live in or represent those people. Um, in any case, I wanted to introduce a word into the... Uh, a, a guy named Chris Novembrino said I should be a prupulist. Mm. <laughs> But the word I wanted to introduce tonight, because I, I realize sometimes I'm unbelievably pedantic, but this I thought was important because it's a word that applies so much to what's going on in today's uh, scenario, and it's this. And if you don't know the definition, don't feel bad at all because that's why I'm reading it. And I wanted to define it for myself. Plutocracy. Uh, the Greeks, of course, invented everything. Man-on-man um, -man fucking frottage. <laughs> Men on boy fucking uh, mentoring. Uh, they invented a lot of things. Uh, philosophy, theosophy, uh, uh, dinosophy, uh, fucking uh, the idea of, um, of being an epicure, the idea of being a sophist. Uh, uh, um, uh, thank you. Uh, they, 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 uh, they had a pantheon, um, but they were certainly aware. Uh, at the same time as Greek uh, civilization rose, uh, Indian civilization rose, Hebrew civilization rose, Asian civilization rose. There was a mass rising in places all over the earth, African civilization rose, to develop philosophy and mathematics and a, a way of thinking that informs us to now. The Greeks, however, because we're European largely uh, in our influence here, uh, are, are very important. Um, we say we're a republic, we say we're a democracy. Those are very Greek words. Mind you, as I've so often said on the show, the Greeks did it right. They had slaves and they didn't let women vote. So, <laughs> and men could really be with men <laughs> and have a symposium. Which in those days meant sitting on, laying on, lying on couches and drinking wine. That's what a symposium was. It didn't mean a bunch of people sitting in a room discussing important things. It meant fucking, uh, hey, slave. Outstanding. Or whatever songs they sang in the Greek days. Say what? Plutocracy. Um, uh, this is from the online uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary. Noun, plutocracy, plural, plutocracy is one definition, government by the wealthy. That is what we live in. You may think we live in a democracy. A democracy is where everyone has an equal vote. In Greece, only men. Uh, in other eras, everybody. In this country, only men until 1920. 1920, that's in the memory of man. My mother was born in 1919. She was born before women could fucking vote. Uh, so it's not a million years away. It's, it's a generation away. God, you're old, Greg. <laughs> Fair enough, but I like to give examples. Uh, government by the wealthy. Uh, two, a controlling class of the wealthy, a plutocrat. Um, Mitt Romney is a plutocrat. He is a billionaire who owns a giant corporation that has tentacles in every country that outsources jobs. Uh, when he said corporations are people, he meant that when he said that when he was talking about the 47 percent uh, in the debate, he said he loved the working class. He loved people who were starting businesses in the middle class. He said he loved Big Bird, <laughs> but he didn't want to pay for Big Bird uh, and go into debt to China, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> It'd be like me saying. I love vodka, but I don't want to pay for this vodka and go in debt to Belarus.
The reason the right detests public television is not because public television, which is run largely by donations from gigantic oil corporations, uh, public television is not the voice of the public. They hate them for whatever reason. I'm not ever really certain. They see, I think they perceive them as vaguely leftist somehow, and that the idea of educating children to learn letters word by word uh, so that they can later uh, put sentences together and then use critical thinking is what's a threat. Uh, plutocratic, adjective, plutocratically, adverb. Uh, in any case, uh, now that we know that one, here's a quick one, and then we'll go to questions. Uh, Bank of America announced, this is from last week, from the LA Times, would, p- would pay $2.43 billion to settle a class action lawsuit related to its ac- acquisition of Merrill Lynch as the legal woes continue for the financial institution. Now, I want you to know that everyone who protested in New York City at... Um, Occupy, not everyone, but many people, uh, were handcuffed, incarcerated at all the Occupies all over the world. Uh, no one at Bank of America has had handcuffs put on them, has been tear gassed, or has been incarcerated in any way for all of their transgressions. Early in the financial crisis, Bank of America looked to be one of the winners. As other banks struggled to stay afloat, the firm swooped in to buy Countrywide Financial, the mortgage lender, in 2008. 2008 was the year that the economy collapsed under the Bush administration, just so that a couple of facts are straight and that experts don't believe everything. (laughs) Because Obama's stimulus plan brought this country out of what was going to be worse than the Great Depression uh, we would be like Berlin carrying fucking wheelbarrows of money to this club to buy a fucking taco. <laughs> or whatever we eat in New York. What do we eat in New York? Piroshkis. That's Chicago. Those are pierogies. Bank of America agreed to purchase Merrill Lynch. Da-da-da-da. Uh, uh, a similar burden. Bank of America said it would take a $1.6 billion hit related to the settlement. The settlement won't be the only black mark on the bank's financials this quarter. On Friday, the company said the profits would be hurt by $1.9 billion adjustment related to the value of its debt. It faces an $800 million charge related to an income tax expense. When Bank of America first announced the deal to buy Merrill Lynch for $50 billion in September 2008, the firm's crowed about creating an unrivaled in its breadth of financial services and global reach. Bank of America executive emphasized Merrill's great global franchise and its extensive network of financial advisors. Now they're having to pay billions of dollars for having bought them under false circumstances. These are the mortgage companies that brought the economy of this country down, which is why there's homeless people everywhere, which is why there's people searching for homes everywhere, which is why people can't buy houses everywhere. It's not our fault because we were greedy and took mortgages. It's the wealthy class's fault for trying to fuck us over and take all the money that's available all the time. This is from Matt uh, Taibbi from Rolling Stone, and it's about uh, Mitt Romney and a lot of the things. This was from before the debate. He wrote a post-debate column in Rolling Stone, if you care to read it. Uh, The mere fact that Mitt Romney is even within striking distance of winning this election is an incredible testament to two things. A, the rank and competence of the Democratic Party, which would have this in every other election over the next half century sewn up if they were a little less money hungry and tried a little less harder to represent their ostensible – and tried a little harder to represent their ostensible constituents. The Democratic Party is split because we're controlled by giant interests. Therefore, the giant tent – 
which the Democratic Party purports to represent, i.e. the poor, women, Hispanics, blacks, lesbians, transgenders, whomever you can think of, Jews, whatever uh, group you want to think of, um, they don't represent until their back's against the wall. Uh, then they have to represent us because they want our vote. Um, the power of our, and B, the power of our propaganda machine, which has conditioned all of us to accept the idea that the American population, ideologically speaking, is naturally split down the middle, whereas the real fault lines are a lot closer to the 99 to 1 ratio the Occupy movement has been talking about since last year. Then he talks about the rich. Four years ago, we had an economic crash. The crash was caused by an utterly disgusting and irresponsible class of Wall Street paper pushers who loaded the world up with deadly leverage in pursuit of their own bonuses, then ran screaming to the government for a handout and got it the instant it all went south. These people represent everything that ordinarily repels the American voter. They mostly come from privileged backgrounds. Few of them have ever worked with their hands or done anything like hard work. They not only don't oppose the offshoring of American manufacturing jobs, they enthusiastically support it. They've relentlessly lobbied the government, blah, 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 blah. Uh, they are largely irreligious. Now, how many of the candidates said God told them to run? Four or five of the Republican candidates? The ruling class, the Wall Street class, are largely irreligious, and incidentally, they do massive amounts of drugs from cocaine on down, but almost never suffer any kind of criminal penalty for their behavior. How many Wall Street guys... Uh, 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 the last thing I would say, and this is Matt Taibbi, except for the fact that hundreds of thousands of poor and mostly black and Hispanic kids get tossed by cops every year, 684,000 street stops in New York in 2011. In the same city where Wall Street's finest work, and those kids do real time for possession of anything from marijuana stem to an empty vial. How many Wall Street guys you think would fill the jails if the police spent even one day doing aggressive, no leniency, stop and frisk checks outside the bars in lower Manhattan? How many low jobs? <laughs> I'm happy again. <laughs> How many lore tabs and Adderalls and little foil wraps of cokery would pop out of those briefcases? That's what Matt Tyler said. A couple of uh, uh, um, uh, fantastic people who are swirling in the night sky as giant purple nebulae. Herbert Lom, uh, who played Inspector Dreyfus in all of the uh, Pink Panther movies. He was a Czech actor. Uh, look Herbert Lom up. He has an amazing movie history. Uh, we see him in the night sky tonight. Andy Williams, uh, who was uh, a crooner of some renown. Uh, Barry Commoner. Barry Commoner was an ecologist. And uh, thank you. The Paul Revere of Ecology. Here is what I'd like to read you about Barry Commoner very briefly, and then we'll do questions. Born in 1917, Commoner grew up in Brooklyn, New York, the child of Russian Jewish immigrants. He studied zoology at Columbia University. Da, da, da. He was associate editor for Science Illustrated, uh, he, um, a professor at Washington U in St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> I've been to WashU, and it's awesome. Barry founded the Center for Biology of Natural Systems to promote research on ecological systems. 
As Commoner told the Scientific American, the Atomic Energy Commission had at its command an army of highly skilled scientists. They knew how to design and build nuclear bombs. It somehow escaped their notice that rainfall washes suspended material out of the air or that children drink milk and that concentrated iodine in their growing thyroids. I believe the main reason for the AEC's failure is less complex than a cover-up, but equally devastating. The AEC scientists were so narrowly focused on arming the United States for nuclear war, they failed to perceive facts, even widely known ones, that were outside their limited field of vision. As Commoner argued, it is rich nations that consume a disproportionate share of the world's resources and their systems of colonialism and imperialism that led to the exploitation of third world's natural resources, blah, blah. The poor countries have high birth rates because they're poor, and the extremely poor because other countries are extremely rich. In the closing circle, he argued our economy, including corporations, government, and consumers, need to be in sync with what he called the four laws of ecology. One, everything is connected with everything else. Everything must go somewhere, like alligators. <laughs> Nature knows best. Nature knows best. Not corporations or people. Nature knows best. There is no such thing as a free lunch. How fucking Jewish is that? <laughs> you can pour the nuclear energy on the ground, but someone's gonna pay. <laughs> he was neither a back-to-the-land utopian or a Luddite opposed to modern industrial civilization. He did not place the burden of blame on the consumers who buy these products like the media does. Or the, uh, 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 or the workers who produce them, as the government does. Workers are always blamed for everything. How come teachers are always at the forefront of being blamed for everything now? They're teachers. We all had teachers. Did you think of your teacher as a socialist tool who was trying to indoctrinate you? Or did you think of them as Mrs. Angerbauer? What the fuck? He believed that big business and their political allies dominate society's decision-making. Hmm. Often leading to misguided priorities, a theme that's paralleled the ideas of economists John Kenneth Galbraith and later Ralph Nader. Uh, Barry Commoner uh, was 90-something years old, born in 1995, uh, 96, was it? Uh, he is uh, all over us right now in all the spores in this room because nature knows best. Let's go to some questions here. Does anyone have a question? The microphones are right over there. We're going to do this and then we're going to fuck off into the night. But first I'd like to say this. Uh, we're playing in Brooklyn tonight, and uh, I know that the Ebbets Field wasn't in this neighborhood of uh, um, in Park Slope or even Park Slope adjacent. It was in Pigtown, but uh, that Jackie Robinson played here, and I couldn't be more excited to be in the same town. And that there's going to be a Jackie Robinson movie with uh, Harrison Ford, and someone can Google the actor who's playing Jackie. Yes, sir, what's your name? Oh, darling, what's your name? Sorry. I'm Margaret. Hi, Margaret. What's your, uh, what's your question, Margaret? Oh, golly. And is, we, can't, we can't go visit her, so we want to send her a care package of movies. So if you were recuperating from a broken collarbone, which classic movie do you want? Good question. <laughs> well, she might have seen some of these classic movies, Margaret. So take that with a... That's my caveat before I start. Um, All About Eve is uh, unbelievably entertaining in every way. 
Um, it's one of Betty Davis's transcendent roles, uh, Celeste Holm. Marilyn Monroe is quite young in it. It, it has witty repartee that will uh, knock your socks off, as they say. Um, I think Cabaret with Liza Minnelli and Joel Grey is an awesome movie to recover from a collarbone operation with. Because not only does it have Nazis, it has musical comedy. Um, I would also say, uh, well, since we're talking about Howard Hawks tonight, uh, Red River with Montgomery Clift and John Wayne is uh, quite a delightful film. And also uh, Stage Door uh, with uh, the immortal Ginger Rogers. My wife and I have been discussing it for the last few weeks. Ginger Rogers might be one of the greatest actresses of all time, not just the greatest dancers of all time in all those Fred Astaire pictures. She's as good as Irene Dunn or Catherine Hepburn or Lucille Ball. Uh, any Ginger Rogers movie, uh, but uh, a Bachelor Mother and um, uh, what was the one I said? Stage Door. Let's start there. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you, darling. Hooray. Oh, shit. Look at that cue. We're never getting through, you guys. Hi. Curtis Fuck, Mayfield. I should have started this like two hours ago and shit. Can we smoke dope up here? Yes, Curtis. What was your name, sir? Jack. Hi, Jack. Curtis Mayfield or The Impressions or New York Giants versus Cincinnati Reds. Oh, wow, dude. That, apples and oranges. But uh, right now the Giants are playing at tonight. In fact, they're probably in the second inning right now. Uh, very exciting for me. Uh, Curtis Mayfield and The Impressions are indelible, and there's no way to ever get around them. Uh, what do they say? Um, uh, oh. It's all right, so have a good time, because it's all right. Woo, it's all right. Come on and move your hip. And let your backbones live. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, it's too much. It's too, too much. Thank you, Jack. Who's next? Hi. What's your name? Ollie. Hi, Ollie. So I've heard you talk about Sherlock Holmes on this podcast before. Sure. Great question. My mind started spinning because I thought of about 20 different ones. But since you started with Holmes, Holmes might be the... If what? Oh, Jeremy Brett from the 80s. Not Basil Rathbone, I'm sorry. And not the new one. I forget his name. He's, and even, not even the newer, newer one with Johnny Lee Miller, right? There's a new one on CBS. I, I, the Jeremy Brett, Sherlock Holmes. Or uh, 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 David Suchet used to play. Uh, uh, yeah. David, uh, not Magritte? Was it Magritte? Oh, uh, he, uh, David Suchet used to play Poirot on, uh, on English TV, and he was quite good. Uh, I like the affectation. Duh. I'm all about affectation. Uh, uh, the more affectation, the gooder. Uh, I think the David Suchet um, uh, Poirot, not the Albert Finney Poirot, because Albert Finney Poirot was like almost a candy apple doll kind of character, like, there has been a murder on his lame. 
does that answer the question? I, I hope it was satisfying. Yes. Or uh, Angela Lansbury in Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> Only because Angela Lansbury is unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you, my precious love. What's your name? Hi, I'm Laura. Thank you, my darling. And now here we are. That I would be what? Oh, left speechless by... Oh, kittens, yes. Uh, heavens. Uh, so many people. Um, uh, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. I think... I don't know what I'd say to Nelson Mandela. I don't know what I'd say to Ang Sun Ki. I don't know what I'd say to Bob Dylan. Uh, I've met Lily Tomlin, and she was awesome. Uh, so I know what I'd say to her. Um, sit down. <laughs> We're talking about me. <laughs> I think if I met Hillary, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'd be overmatched, but I, I, because I think she's straight up and I think you'd be able to ask her a direct question and I think she'd be fucking on the reel. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know that I'd be overwhelmed, but I think I'd be a little emotional. Um, uh, I, I, those, those are the ones that come to mind straight off the fucking bat. Um, I mean, I've been fortunate and I've got to meet some people that I thought when I was in high school, if I met them, I would die. And then when I met them, I didn't die. <laughs> and they were really, really, really nice beyond all measure. Uh, I've met Deborah Harry from Blondie. I know that doesn't sound world checking, but I love her beyond all measure. She's the nicest person in the world, the coolest, most liberal minded, fucking just. And if you told me when I was 18 that I was going to meet her one day and that I'd love her, I would have been like, <laughs> and I would have done a line of math and denied you. <laughs> but now, not so much. Uh, and that's where, uh, yeah, I think that's who it is. I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd be overmatched if I met like David Cameron or Obama or whatever. I think I'd be like, hi, how are you? Um, and I think you have to be polite to everyone you meet. Even if I met Dick Cheney or any of the other villains that I cast on the show, like Darth Vader. And, and I cast a lot of people like they're from the, tossed up from the underworld, barfed up from a fucking volcano with just sulfur all around them. And when they come up, there's brimstone and they, you know, their eyes are glowing red and they fucking have a heart that beats and you can see it through their chest and shit like that. But I mean, the, uh, you know, when people are people... Uh, as Voltaire said, once is philosophy, right? And also, I believe in politeness, so I think the first time you meet them, you're like, hi. Um, does that mean I'd send a limo for fucking Stalin? No, I, you know, whatever. That, that's another semantic question and that, that I've opened up for myself when you asked a very simple one. <laughs> I might have a little trouble speaking to Cormac McCarthy, quite frankly, because I'm such a huge fan and... 
I don't know that we have anything in common, but I, I mean, the one thing you can always talk about with authors is their work, right? I mean, work is always important, so uh, anyway. No, no, no question in there. I have trouble speaking to people that I know. Fame is not necessarily the factor that makes me awkward. If you know what I mean. People in my own horrible, um, you know, uh, low self-esteem mind, when you talk to people that you perceive as higher status than you, that you want something from or that you can't get to do what you want, those are more awkward situations for me than were I to meet, uh, you know, who was the last person? Sherlock Holmes in one moment. Thank you, my precious love. Hi, what's your name? Mini Jacks tonight, I love it. Is your girlfriend named Diane? Fuck. Life goes on long after the thrill of the vodcast is gone. Rock on. Running out. Yes, Jack. Kind of you. Uh, Agreed, agreed. It's my it's my it's the hardest part for me with baseball. The the dominant plutocracy that owns baseball is 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 a blight on the land and always was since the 19th century. As I've said before on the show, baseball players didn't uh, baseball owners didn't want uh, scorecards, uh, uh, food in the stands, uh, radio. Baseball owners were against radio, you guys, because they thought it gave the game away for free. That was in the 30s, in the late 20s. The Yankees were one of the first teams in New York City that brought and the and the Dodgers, obviously, um, but. Uh, that, that's the hard part Professional sports And I see you're wearing an A's jersey And go A's by the way Fucking A What an amazing season for them 160 uh, Two quick things The A's uh, The A's um, The team from across the bay Where I of course uh, My heart lives Is uh, uh, Won on the 162nd game of the season Which is quite a feat And very rarely done in baseball They won on the last day of the fucking season And they're going to the playoffs Not the fake playoff One game and out playoffs They're going to the real fucking playoffs And Chow, um, I can't remember two. Mm. It shouldn't be two, it should be B, because A was first. The A's were first. Uh, secondly, uh, the, uh, the owners are just a bummer all the fucking time. If it was ever anything but, how many teams are there, 30? If it was anything but 30 fucking rich white guys, I would be like, yeah, baseball's cool. But it isn't, because it's 30 rich white guys. What was your question? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh, Miguel Cabrera. That was B. Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown for the first time uh, since Yastrzemski in 67. Now, if you're you're not a baseball fan, this means nothing to you whatsoever. And in fact, even as a baseball fan, it's an artificial construct that we put together. But in the old days, Homer's RBIs and average are the most important three statistics. Now we have OBA and OPA and war and all that fucking shit. And OBP and, you know, uh, know, sabermetrics. But 
The really we all know who scores the most runs and who gets the most hits. That's how fucking baseball is played. If you get the most hits and don't score the most runs, you suck. If you if you get some hits and score the most runs, then you're fucking awesome. Miguel Cabrera did both, and that was an extraordinary accomplishment. And what's your question? <laughs> well, there's a black man with a blind man. Yes, precious love. 34. Which one are you? Fucking A. Hey, brother. What's your name? So, in previous podcasts, you mentioned uh, Yakko Casanova. And, well, he uh, mutilated dead bodies and may have fathered his own grandchild, um, but he slayed the giant lion. Bro, in your opinion, you're the I didn't hear a lot of that question. <laughs> Something about Casanova and a vagina and they slayed their own child, was so, it? Like, as you know, I'm quite deaf. I know. Uh, he's a scoundrel. Casanova, you say? Yeah. Yes. Giacomo Casanova. Yes, Giacomo Casanova. Yeah, I'm sorry. In your opinion, is he a hero or a villain? Oh, is he a hero or a villain? Yeah. Oh, well, he's that most complex of uh, heroes. Uh, he's both a hero and a villain. His treatment of women is absolutely scabrous and uh, scandalous. Sometimes mother-daughters, many times mother-daughters at the same time. However... If you read uh, his confessions or his biography, it's uh, the most illuminating, fucking delightful, scintillating book that you could possibly read about the 18th century. The, the, the chapter about the duel uh, with the Russian count and whatnot is, is uh, uh, the most propelling boy's own fucking literature you could fucking... Uh, so I'd say hero, literarily. Uh, uh, villain if you had to taste the end of his man business. But I mean... <laughs> Uh, on the other hand, I think women were kind of standing in line, if you know what I fucking mean. I mean, like, at the end of the day, is Mick Jagger a villain because he nailed a lot of chicks? No, I think a lot of chicks went like, that was okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm speaking for women on that regard, but uh, y'all know what I'm saying. Does that answer your Casanova question? Thank you, sir. Crikey, fuck. You guys, I can't answer 400 questions and shit. Cece Puede. <laughs> yes, my darling. Uh, Hi. Uh, first of all, thank you for turning me on to uh, Love Meridian. Oh. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Second of all, uh, you are both the smartest man in the world and the smartest dressed man in the world. <laughs> Do you have any suggestions for how to treat such a guy for dressing well on a budget? You call yourself callow, and yet I hardly know you. So far, I've found you anything but callow. So far, I've found you a rich river with currents flowing underneath. The very substance of your question belies a, a forethought that was hitherto unmentioned. I think the callowness sort of speaks to a, a diminishment of your own capacities that perhaps you thought would fucking delight me because you, like... We're self-deprecating and shit. You're wearing an untucked shirt. That's kind of a bummer. Grown, grown men who are enter women put their t shirts in often. Unless they're on the Jersey Shore or other such shows. I, I, I think the Banana Republic is not a terrible place to go. 
I know it's a horrible corporate, you know, fucking plutocracy of clothes and whatnot, but their suits are cheap, and uh, you can get them redone quite uh, easily at the local laundry mat near your house. And they make clothes out of Italian wool and shit like that. And um, I am all for bargains. I really am. Um, not tonight, but in general, I... Uh, Margaret Howell tonight, but uh, the, it was, I was treating myself. The, uh, 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 you, you can go to Banana Republic or, or The Gap or whatever and buy awesome dress shirts for like $40, $60, and they wear just as well, and they fucking flip out right out of the wash. You don't have to iron them and shit like that. And yes, I fucking iron at home. Uh, I also take clothes to the dry cleaner and whatnot, but I mean, you really shouldn't dry clean your suits too often. You should hang them outside and brush them. You should buy a brush and brush them madly and hang them outside so they take some air. Don't fucking dry clean them all the time because it ruins the fucking fabric and shit like that. Um, uh, for you, I would go Banana Republic or, or Gap or something like that or maybe Abercrombie and Fitch, one of the lower... Uh, 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 uh. When I say lower, I mean not... Uh, you're not going to buy a $2,500 fucking suit. You're going to buy a suit that's three to five or five to seven if you're going to go crazy and you're going to wear it for five years. You're going to wear it for seven years and brush that fucker and put it outside <laughs> and buy a nice pair of shoes to go with it because believe me, women decide in the first five minutes whether they're going to let you inside them or not. <laughs> they say, they look at your shoes and they go, he's coming inside me tonight or no, he's never coming inside me. <laughs> he wore fucking ochre colored shoes with horrible blue soles. <laughs> no, no, I won't have it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing how women think. <laughs> Buy a swank pair of shoes or Chelsea boots, even better. You know, a pair of boots with like uh, the, the uh, uh, elastic, you know, that goes down around the rim, you know, that you pull on, pull on. Uh, and don't spend a ton of money. I mean, get a fucking Kenneth Cole and shit like that. Um, save up and then spend 500, you know what I mean? That's where I would go. Uh, did that help at all or was that just complete? Even Target probably has some shit that's okay, you know what I mean? Because the, Target does knockoffs of designers. H&M does knockoffs of designers. I'm never about buying a couture because who fucking buys couture except for fucking, you know, uh, people from the Middle East who, whose husbands are the dictator of Syria. Thank you, callow youth. Run and be callow no more. Hello, sir. My name is Michelle. Hello, Michelle. With two L's? I love it. <laughs> do, do I like a favorite question or a shorter question? Oh, you mean from you? Oh, I want your favorite question, yeah. The question was, who would be on my all-Roman Emperor baseball team and what positions would they play? Managing the team, Julius Caesar. I know he wasn't full-on emperor, but he was voted emperor and uh, 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 octoritas before he left the, this earthly realm. Uh, I think at first base, even though he's short, hear me out on this, Augustus, because Augustus is solid, resolute, and is not going to fucking fail. 
at second base, Tiberius, because Tiberius was glum, but did his fucking job at shortstop. At shortstop, I put, and you're going to love this, I think, really, Heliogobulus, one of the most homosexual and perverted of all of the Roman emperors, because he could gobble up foul balls. At third base, Marcus Aurelius, the philosopher. You got to go down the line. You got to come back over the line. You got to make plays across the diamond. You got to fucking catch pop flies. Only Marcus Aurelius would have the wherewithal to know that if he dropped a fly over the fucking railings, it's not the end of the world. It's how things happen. Catching. Who else is a better catcher than Caligula, ladies and gentlemen? Not only would he block the plate, he would tag guys out who were trying to score and then, like, fuck them when they were trying to get home. While they're trying to crawl for the plate and put their hand on the dish, Caligula would be on top of them and shit, and then he'd be laying underneath them, like, I'm your wife, I'm your wife. He would confuse them utterly. There's no better defense than Caligula behind the dish. In left field. <laughs> wow. Who did I say was manager? Oh, Caesar. Oh, let me go to center first. Constantine in center. Constantine had a vision that the Lord told him to become a Christian on the field and then made the entire Roman Empire Christian, which it didn't, but eventually it did. Constantine in center. In left field, Otho. Yeah, look him up. He's in Suetonius 12 Caesars. He was a workaday dude. He actually carried fucking pieces of bric-a-brac and, 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 and crockery uh, around Rome when it needed to be rebuilt. In right field, Nero. Because if you make a mistake and you make a shitty throw from right field, Nero's going to blame the Jews. the smartest man in the world proofcast you have been brooklyn i couldn't adore you more thank you very much and good night for every page that you turn be a satchel page good night everyone